This is the Dreamers Podcast, episode 48, with Raquel Curtis, aka the Bougie Banker. Today is December 14th, 2021. The advice that I have is to definitely stop looking at getting your financial picture together as just a numbers game. I think we trick ourselves by making it make sense just for the numbers and not making it make sense for our actual habits and behaviors and triggers. So it's important that you really get to understand yourself. We create a lot of band-aids when it comes to our relationship with money, but we need to realize that there's an emotional and a psychological attachment that we have with money. Hello, world. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I am Stephanie Annie's, also known as Annie's Wealth. I'm a financial coach and an author. I self-published my first book, Dream of Legacy, a guide to help dreamers reach financial independence and build generational wealth. In this podcast, I'll have conversations with experts and thought leaders who dare to follow their dreams. You'll hear about their journey and their money stories. I hope it inspires you, dreamers out there, to live life on your own terms. Come on, dreamers. Let's change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Dream of Legacy. Check out dreamoflegacy.com for resources to assist you on your journey to financial independence. Before we get into today's episode, please take a couple minutes to go into Apple Podcasts if you're listening from an Apple device to rate and review the podcast. If you appreciate the free resources that are provided in this podcast, then the best way to let me know is to do just that. Reviews help the podcast be more visible and it helps other dreamers discover the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate you. And now let's get back to today's episode. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Anise Wealth, and I'm so glad that you're here for today's episode with Raquel Curtis, aka the Bougie Banker, an international money coach, speaker, and author. She teaches women how to get clarity, confidence, and control over their money. In today's episode, Raquel talks about her journey as a personal finance educator. From graduating college and earning $7.25 working at a daycare, to becoming a business owner and eventually having an accident after which she lost everything and was unable to go back to work and had to reinvent herself. There's so much wisdom from this mom of three who has mastered the art of bouncing back after hardships. So today we talk about how to master your money mindset. Without further ado, here is Raquel Curtis. Raquel Curtis, welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me, Annelise. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, sure. So, you know, my name is Raquel. I was a prior banker. Unfortunately, I lost my job uh, due to the pandemic. And since then, I just made a decision that I was just going to continue helping people with their finances. I found a really deep passion for helping people understand their money habits and really clarifying on how they're managing their money. So since I lost my job, I've created, you know, an international brand really, really grateful for that. My brand has been in 32 countries to date and actively selling in four of them. Oh, five. I forgot. I just added Canada. Congratulations. Thank you. 
Do you mind sharing what you were doing prior to launching your own brand? Yes. So I was a banker, sat down with whoever came into the branch and who needed some assistance with understanding what's going on with their account, opening new accounts, overdrafts. And that's what I did. However, I knew that I was going to be doing something different. I had no idea it would be to this capacity. I thought maybe I would like move up in management, maybe move to corporate because I really loved what I did. And I was always going above and beyond, right? Like they didn't pay us to create budgets for the people that were sitting there, but I loved doing it anyway. So that's pretty much what I did. And so before you became a banker, you were a business owner? How I ended up to where I am right now, just in relation to being like a financial literacy coach, international money management coach, has been a long road of me messing up with money and then getting it right. So I have to start from the beginning so it all makes sense to where I am now. I started out with my undergrad at Savannah State University in criminal justice. So when I graduated, I became a correctional officer. And then while I was a correctional officer, I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter, Mariah. And one day, a fight broke out between two of the inmates, and I was the only officer on that hall at the time. And so was in between the two inmates, and one of the inmates fell on my stomach. I ended up being placed on bed rest for the duration of my pregnancy. My daughter's fine. She's eight now. I was unable to go back to being a correctional officer. So I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where I then became a stay-at-home mom. My oldest, she is 14. And so at that point in time, I'm a stay-at-home spouse, raising two kids, and everything that I do is now revolved around his schedule and the kids' schedule. And I was really struggling with like identity of self. So I was like, I'll just work at the daycare that we want to send her to. That way it's affordable and I can get out the house and it'll be all great. I can still feel like I'm growing and developing in some way, right? I started working there. I was making $7.25 an hour with a degree. So I started taking classes on the weekend and I became uh, certified with my CDA. I'm sorry, what does it stand for, CDA? So it's your certification that you need in order to own your own daycare. Got that certification and then... I started watching children on the weekend. And then from watching children on the weekend, I started watching them during the week and dropped my hours down to part-time and then eventually moved to full-time with my own in-home daycare. So money was coming in. Things were going wonderful. Had my baby. And after my baby, women would ask me a lot, like, oh, girl, like, do you work out? You know, you just, I can't believe you just had a baby. It was a lot of that. Some women started to ask me if I would train them. Now, Keep in mind, while I was in college, I ran track, I played basketball, so naturally athletic. I could use the extra money, and I was like, you know what? Why don't I just become a personal trainer? (laughs) (laughs) So I became certified as a personal trainer, and so I was like, you know what? I think I want a gym. I think that's what I want. So I opened the first women's only gym with childcare in Covington, Georgia at the time, and it was amazing. I had my childcare facility. I had classes for women. I had employees. It was a 1,700 square foot building. Like everything was amazing. And during this process, as an entrepreneur, I'm bringing in a lot of money. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I made it. I'm rich. (laughs) (laughs) I was so bad with managing money because as soon as it would come in, I would spend it. But I was like, ah, it'll come back. Like I'm entrepreneur. Money comes back. Well, one day I was headed home. And an older gentleman in his 80s, he ran a red light and he T-boned me. You know, the car accident, I was in a neck brace for about six months. I had about 16 spinal injections. 
I could not return back to my gym. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, my council, they were just bleeding. So, you know, I was paying the lease, I was paying the utilities, employees, all of those things. And I just watched my account continue to dwindle down. So this is where I hit rock bottom in my finances. It got to a point to where I'm looking at my kids and I'm like, nothing I'm doing right now is serving them. And I really hated to see that I couldn't take them to the places that other kids were going. I couldn't buy them the things that other kids had. And so I started, you know, just working any job I could, front desk of hotels, selling life insurance. I was working security at FedEx at one point, doing the overnight shifts, like anything I could do to start bringing more money in. Because at the time I was chasing maintaining a lifestyle opposed to financial stability. You know, I got to a point to where I was tired of working so hard and having nothing to show for it. And I was like, if I don't make a decision to change where I am with my money, every decision I make, every poor decision I make from here on out is just going to be a reflection onto my kids. That was where I made the decision that I was going to get it together. So I started watching YouTube videos, downloading free templates, anything I could do to feel like I was getting on the right journey, buying all the journals and everything, but they weren't working. Or they worked for like a week while I was excited about it, right? But then when life would happen, I would go right back to my old habits. So how did you finally change those financial habits? Yeah, so I just had to have a come to Jesus moment with myself. And I was like, if I don't change anything now, what are my kids going to have? Nothing. They're going to be a reflection of me. They're going to do the exact same thing in the decisions that I was making. So I just decided to get down to the bottom of my relationship with money and start there. Cause I was like, the numbers aren't working. Every time I do the numbers, I see them, but I'm not sticking to them. It's not working. So I, obviously it has to be a deeper layer to that. So I started thinking about where my money habits started from, like where the relationship with money started from, what my triggers were around money. And then I started to create healthy boundaries around those triggers. So when I recognized that, okay, this is a reason why I impulsively spend money. Okay, I need to change that. So if this happens again, then my next decision will be. So once I started to make those progressive changes, then the numbers were easier to stick to. That's how all of this started. I just looked at my babies and I was like, I can't do this to them anymore. And I changed my relationship with money so that sticking to the numbers and making the numbers make sense was super easy. So then, you know, I'm like, at this point, I'm still working a couple of jobs. And my friend, she was like, you ever thought about becoming a banker? And I was like, no. She was like, you sure? And I was like, no, why would I want to do that? She was like, girl, you know, you need stable income. You should probably look at becoming a banker. And I was like, okay, well, I guess. So I applied, they hired me, and I felt like had I not lost my job due to the pandemic, I would still be there today. I would retire a banker or a corporate banker somewhere in banking, but I loved everything about it. And I was able to relate to people's financial problems because I was no longer there. I was able to kind of help guide them out of them as well. So I had people come in and sitting with me like on their paydays. As soon as they got paid, they would sit with me at my desk and they'd be like, okay, come on, I'm ready to do my budget. And we're going down and they're paying their bills while they're sitting at my desk. They're getting everything on track. And it was just so fulfilling to see people's confidence in their relationship with money change. So do you mind sharing some details about where you were when you decided, you know, that you were no longer going to have those financial habits that didn't serve you to now? So at that point in time, we're really struggling financially. We needed food stamps, couldn't qualify for them. 
a lot of our meals looked like oatmeal for breakfast because it was the heaviest thing you could put on your stomach and it would stick. It was cheap and chicken and rice and a canned veggie for dinner because again, it was cheap, right? One day I was walking inside of Walmart and this guy came outside and he was like, man, you know, I'm in the South. Okay. So he's like, man, you surely is pretty, but you look a whole lot better if you had about 30 to 40 more pounds on you. My eyes just watered. You know how we were able to keep on a face if we're feeling some type of way, but my eyes just watered up so much as I walked into the store, because at that point I realized that whatever was going on internally was then being presented externally. He didn't know what was going on, but his response to seeing me let me know that the issues that I was having with money could be seen in physical form. So that's where I was just like, you know, enough is enough. Like I'm looking at my kids, they're not getting what they need or want. And it wasn't like, you know, we were homeless or anything. Like my kids, they were fine, but I just knew that I desired for them to have more, to be able to do more. And I realized that I had a really strong emotional and psychological connection to money because when it wasn't right, oh, anxiety was through the roof, sleepless nights, everything changed. That was my turning point. So I read in an article in Parents Magazine that you said that you actually grew up with parents who were doing well financially and you didn't value money the way you should have. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So my parents have done very well for themselves. My mother, she's, you know, been a federal employee forever. My dad, he at one point played professional football. And I mean, I just never had to worry about anything. I never had to question having anything. So in return, I never learned to value anything that was given to me. So a lot of what I talk about now is expectation versus appreciation with your children and how you can work towards instilling the values in them to where they're able to earn the thing that they want and therefore they appreciate it and they understand the value that's connected with it opposed to you just buying them everything and then now they're expecting it and now you know you're feeling guilty about or feeling some type of way or some negative emotion connected to doing stuff for your child. So that was something that I had to learn with myself as an adult that I didn't value anything as a kid because it was just like gimme, 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 gimme. And because my parents worked so hard to get to where they were, they gave it. I love that. And, you know, I think these days you hear a lot about building generational wealth. And I think what's sometimes missing from the conversation is how are we raising these kids so that they can be financially savvy, so that they can receive that wealth and continue to add to it as opposed to just spend it all. And I'm curious to hear from you, what are some of the things that parents can do to teach their kids to value money? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I love doing with my kids, and I suggest this to other parents that they, you know, give it a try and see how it works with them is let's say my child wants a new toy. They're just like, Hey mommy, can I have this? And I'll tell them, sure, you can have it knowing that I'm, if I'm going to purchase it for them anyway, but I'll say, let's print out a picture of the toy that you want. We'll put the picture up on their wall and we'll put like a little Ziploc bag up there. And so for every financial literacy or personal development book that they read, they'll earn money towards the item that they want. So that way they're getting the thing they want, which is the reward. And I'm getting what I would like to instill in them, which is the personal development and the financial literacy. The conversations went from mommy, can I have to mommy, how can I earn? 
And so when they get the thing, they actually appreciate it a lot more because they worked for it. And so the value attachment to the thing that they've earned is there. Love that. Mm -hmm. In the past five years or so, you have transformed your finances. So for anyone listening that might be in the situation that you were in five years ago, what advice do you have for them? The advice that I have is to definitely stop looking at getting your financial picture together as just a numbers game. I think we trick ourselves by making it make sense just for the numbers and not making it make sense for our actual habits and behaviors and triggers. So it's important that you really get to understand yourself. We create a lot of band-aids when it comes to our relationship with money, but we need to realize that there's an emotional and a psychological attachment that we have with money. And once we get down into those layers and really identify what they are, then you'll be ready for the budget. But I find a lot of people just think, okay, I need to get my money together. Let me look at a budget. And they haven't fixed anything else. You haven't fixed the foundation. You haven't fixed the roots. The years that it took you to get to where you are came from habits. It didn't come from the numbers. It came from poor financial habits. What I would suggest for anyone who's really in a position to where they're like, I want to turn my life around. I want to get to a place to where I can breathe a little easier, to where I can actually go to sleep at night. Start paying attention to the foundation. And the foundation is, where did your relationship with money start? What was the language in which your parents talked to you about money or environments in which that you noticed on how money was being treated and handled and how that played into you? A lot of people don't pay attention to that. But if you really sit down and think about it, you'll start to realize, wow, I actually managed money like my mom or wow, I actually managed money like my dad or whomever was a figure in your household. So I think that's where you need to start. So true. If you're able to identify your financial triggers, what are some of the things that you can do to protect yourself from them? Definitely. So I feel as though you should write if then statements. Let's say one of your financial triggers is, you know that when you get stressed out that you just want to go shop, right? Because it releases that temporary good feeling and you just want to go buy yourself something nice and that feels so good, right? Well, it's not necessarily beneficial to your financial well-being to go shopping every time you're stressed. So you should write down an if-then statement. If I have a stressful day at work, then my response will be maybe a warm bath, maybe working out, or maybe just looking at some inspirational stuff on social media. You have to redirect your attention, right? Into something that's not going to cause financial harm to you while you're doing it. Write out a list of the things that you feel trigger you. And it's not just negative triggers, right? Like we have positive reasons why we spend money impulsively as well. So it could be a family gathering. It could be a cookout. It could be a, well, I guess the same thing, but it could be a party or a date night. And we're just like, oh, I got to get something cute because I'm going on a date tonight. Do you have to get something new because you're going on a date tonight? Because I'm sure the person you're going on a date with has not seen every outfit in your closet. You know what I'm saying? So really, really writing down what those triggers look like for you and giving yourself a different solution to the trigger. So your brand, The Bougie Banker, has grown and you've helped tons of women gain control of their finances. What are some of the things you've learned about as you've been focusing on helping women around the world improve their relationships? What are some of the things that you've learned? Oh, sure. No one realizes how much they spend money. So I always hear like on my consultation calls, they'll be like, yeah, so, you know, I like to go out to eat and I really just, 
that's it. Like, you know, my bills and I try to drop down on some subscriptions. This is the common conversation. And then once we get into those statements, some of their triggers may be cash apping their family members' money. And they're not even putting that as a consideration as to where their money's going and why their bills are, why they feel like their bills are eating up their money. Or Amazon is taking their money and they're not realizing how often they're shopping on Amazon. Or even overgiving. So one of the conversations that I typically have is, of course, we should give. We should all give. I love to give as well. But you want to give out of your overflow. And what I find often is that people are looked at as the secure one in their family. So they feel obligated to help everyone else out. Meanwhile, they're barely keeping their head above water. So I tell them all the time, I said, you know, you have to learn healthy boundaries around that. I said, it's not saying you can't be there for your family, but if you are always their answer, the reason why you're always their answer is because they know that you'll always say yes. I said, you're doing two things. You're harming yourself and you're crippling them. Hmm. So that's definitely one of the common things right there. And so recently you released your first book, Mastering Your Money Mindset. Yes, I did. And I had a whole anxiety attack over this book, but I'm just so thankful that it's here and it's doing so well. Tell us more about it. Yeah, sure. So Mastering Your Money Mindset was developed from a class that I taught, which was called Mastering Your Money Mindset. And so I taught this class for nearly a year and it was focusing on helping people really get to that foundational level of where their relationship with money started. And so they can really start to peel back those layers and identify where maybe some childhood traumas around money may have occurred and how that affects them or really starting to understand, you know, what their financial triggers are and how they can begin to create healthy boundaries around those triggers. So I got so many great reviews. I mean, in that live class, I would be crying. They would be crying. It was just like a healing moment because we just don't realize how emotionally connected we are to money. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to create a workbook for this class. And after I created the workbook and continued to teach it, people were like, this would make a great book. So that's what I did. I turned the class in the workbook into a self-discovery book. So Mastering Your Money Mindset, the self-discovery book, It takes you on that journey. And I share my journey with my relationship with money. And I talk about us as Black women, just where we are financially and the things we really need to do to start changing that picture. It's a phenomenal book. It has you go layers deep into your relationship. It has you thinking about some things you probably haven't thought about with money before. And it's a very easy read. Yeah, people are really enjoying it. I'm getting some great reviews. So for anyone listening who want to master their money mindset, what are some of the things that they can start doing today? First thing you have to do is you have to be honest with yourself. I find that it's so easy for us to put on a facade for the world. Like everybody shows their best life on social media. Everybody goes out in the day and we put on this happy face. Like we just have it together. And it's easy to take that facade that we put on for the world and view it as our true reflection of how we're operating. However, if you're wanting to grow, you have to first truly take acknowledgement for where you are. So that's stop ignoring debt collectors, really get an understanding for where your net worth is and what that's looking like for you and understand your true financial picture. It's just plainly like you just have to keep it a hundred with yourself. 
You can still go out in the world and do all the things and look great and all those things, but look yourself in the mirror and really understand who you are and where you are with your finances. Once you get a clear understanding of that, then start to understand, okay, well, how is my relationship with money? Work to start to repair those. And a great way to do this is you can comb through your statements. Uh, Your statements will tell you exactly who you are with your money. You may think you're one person, but baby, you go on those statements and you are a totally different person. I (laughs) promise you. They'll be like, oh my gosh, I am bougie. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) So go in those statements and really understand who you are with your money. And then from there, just start to identify what your triggers are and really start to shape your budget around who you are as an individual, not just your bills. So Raquel, I'd like to end the interview with around the rapid fire questions. Okay, sure. Tell me about a book that changed your perspective on life. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. What's one thing about money you wish you could tell your younger self? Invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best investment in yourself you've made so far? The best investment I made into myself has to be spiritual and personal development. They're one, they go hand in hand. Filling the blanks in three words or less. Money to me is... Time freedom. What do you want your legacy to be? Through philanthropy. All right, Raquel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Please tell the listeners where to find you. Yes, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And you can find me on Instagram. That's where I am every day. The bougie banker underscore. And, you know, I'm launching my finance community January of 2022. I'm super excited about that, y'all. It's going to be like, No other finance community. People have auto courses. People have private Facebook groups, but we have so much more going into that community. It is ridiculous, including a tons of stuff around financial literacy. So check out my website, learn some more about me. I'm so glad that I was able to spend this time with you. And thank you for being patient with me throughout the interview. You were absolutely amazing. Oh, thank you so much. That was Rachel Curtis. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Dreamers Podcast. You can find the episode show notes and all of the links mentioned at dreamoflegacy.com. If you liked today's episode, here's what you can do to support me and help more dreamers discover the podcast. Follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Rate and review the podcast to help the podcast gain more visibility. Share the podcast with your family, friends, and co-workers. And if you really enjoyed today's episode, please take a second to tag me at thedreamers.podcast on Instagram and let me know what you liked about today's episode. All right, dreamers, that's it for today. I will see you back here next week for another episode of The Dreamers Podcast. Okay, dreamers. Come to build this legacy. This podcast is for general information purposes only. It is not intended to provide any tax, legal, financial planning, insurance, accounting, investment, or any other kind of professional advice or services. Please consult with an appropriate tax, financial, or legal professional to receive appropriate advice based on your situation. <laughs>